WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio proudly presents the Marian Hour with Father Dwight Campbell, spiritual advisor to WSFI and pastor of Our Lady of Mount Carmel and St. Therese in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Well, good afternoon, everyone, on this beautiful feast, <clears throat> Solemnity, a high feast of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary this December 8th. Uh, sorry, we're starting a, a little bit late. We, uh, we were broadcasting the Mass here at our chapel at WSFI and thought that during communion it would be a good time to break and um, enter into the Marian Hour show. So I'll, I'll begin this Marian Hour program with uh, my favorite Marian prayer. I ask you to join me in praying the Memorare. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother, to thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> well, I'm going to begin um, this Marian hour, and the topic, of course, is going to be the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary, which was uh, proclaimed a dogma on December 8th, 1854. Um, <clears throat> and the proclamation of that dogma was done in an apostolic constitution by Pope Blessed Pius IX. And it was called uh, the Latin Ineffabilis Deus. Uh, that's how it begins. Uh, the Ineffable God, God the Ineffable One. Uh, speaking about, uh, well, that was the introduction to, to the, the whole apostolic constitution. But I'm going to read now the, the dogmatic formula that's found in the apostolic constitution. And here are the words. We declare, pronounce, and define that the doctrine which holds that the Most Blessed Virgin Mary in the first moment of her conception by a singular grace and privilege granted by Almighty God in view of the merits of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the human race, was preserved free from all stain of original sin is a doctrine revealed by God and therefore to be believed firmly and constantly by all the faithful. Okay. Uh, one of the things I'd like to point out in, in these words, which actually define the, the doctrine, is that it was already a doctrine. Okay. This wasn't something new that was being proclaimed uh, and announced to the church. Uh, 
by <clears throat> Blessed Pius IX. This was already a doctrine, already a teaching of the Church. What it means that, uh, what, what a dogma means is that it is uh, defined by the Pope as formally revealed by God, okay? And that the faithful must believe it as part of divine revelation. So it, it raises this doctrine to its highest level. And so if one is a Catholic, one cannot doubt or question this. One has to accept it in faith as revealed by God. Now, <clears throat> uh, why did the Pope do this in 1854? Why wasn't this done earlier? Well, the, uh, the Pope, in defining Mary's Immaculate Conception, wished to settle any questions that anyone might have about Mary's Immaculate Conception and if anyone had any doubts in faith over this doctrine. And this was something revealed by God, as, as the Pope says, and, and this means revealed by, by Jesus Christ to his apostles. Now, it was revealed to the apostles and, and passed down in the tradition of the Church, um, not with an explicit formula, but um, with, with, you could say, uh, uh, a lack of real clarity in language, especially as this doctrine began to develop in the Church in the early centuries. And <clears throat> I'll give you some examples of that here. Okay, in the the early church writers, like Justin Martyr, who died in 165, Tertullian, who died in 200, Irenaeus, who died around 200, uh, we see the seeds of Mary's Immaculate Conception in their comparison of Mary, her obedience and faith, to Eve's disobedience and lack of faith. Mary is the new Eve, and this is one of the initial seeds of the doctrine of Mary's Immaculate Conception, that she was totally open and obedient to God. Grace was working in her okay. from... from the earliest, the beginnings of her, of her life, okay? Um, there is a, an apocryphal work written even before the end of the, the first century um, called The Ascension of Isaiah and the Odes of Solomon. It speaks of Mary's sinlessness, okay? And links her sinlessness to giving birth as a virgin without pain, okay? Uh, <clears throat> and, you know, in the early church, in the early centuries, you didn't have the term immaculate conception being used, but you had similar terms, similar words uh, that were used to give an understanding 
that Mary was without sin. For example, okay, in about the year 250, uh, one of the early church writers, Hippolytus, compared Mary to the Ark of the Covenant, that chest made of wood, covered in gold inside and outside, that contained the Word of God written on the Ten Commandments, okay, on, the two, on the two stone tablets, I should say, the Ten Commandments. Okay. And uh, Hippolytus said this, The Lord was without sin, made of imperishable wood. He's referring to Jesus Christ. As regards his humanity, that is, of the virgin he was made and the Holy Spirit. Inwardly and outwardly of the word of God, like the ark overlaid with purest gold. So Mary, like the Ark of the Covenant, um, contained the Word of God, but not just the Word of God written on stone, the Word of God written, uh, or not written, but enfleshed. And Hippolytus also said that the tabernacle of Jesus Christ, the Blessed Virgin Mary, was exempt from putridity and corruption. So here's another early testimony, third century, that Mary was, you know, exempt from, from any corruption, from, from sin. Uh, St. Ambrose, at the end of the fourth century, called the Blessed Virgin Mary a virgin, not only undefiled, but a virgin whom grace had made inviolate, free of every stain of sin. Well, St. Ambrose's feast day was yesterday, actually. Um, so, very appropriate we quote St. Ambrose. And <clears throat> in the East, the Eastern Church, um, you had writers using different terms. Okay, there was an Eastern writer called Origen, O-R-I-G-E-N. Okay. And... <clears throat> Uh, for example, he referred to Mary as the Panagia. Okay. Uh, in, in Constantinople, there's one of the oldest churches. It just got taken over again by, by the Muslims to return to a museum, unfortunately, but it's called the Hagia Sophia. Okay. Uh, and Hagia means holy, Sophia wisdom, ho the Church of Holy Wisdom. Well, Mary was called by the early church writers in the East, like Origen, Panagia. 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 Pan means meaning all. Hagia, holy. Panagia, the all holy one. Okay. And there's a there's a comparable Latin term, and that's tota pulcra. Mary is the all-beautiful one. Why is she all-beautiful? Because she's, she's stainless. She's, she's sinless. Okay? And actually, that term totopulcra is still used on today's Feast of the Immaculate Conception at evening prayer. And in the 1962 Missal, okay, uh, before the Gospel, here's what it says. Totopulcra es Maria... Et macula originalis non est in te. 
you are all beautiful, Mary, and the spot of original sin is not within you. Okay. Well, um, the Eastern Fathers of the Church, uh, for example, um, St. Gregory Nazianzen, uh, they spoke of Mary as her, her sinlessness as a pre-purification. Okay, uh, she was she was pure before she even conceived Jesus in her womb, and uh, that that idea fit in with the Eastern notion that um, there was there was an understanding of the absolute primacy of Christ, that, that, that in God's plan, the Word was going to become flesh. And that Word becoming flesh was going to be brought about through uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary. Okay. And The Blessed Virgin Mary is is the her immaculate conception, as we would call it, or her pre-purification was the uh, the Marian mode of this primacy of Christ. Jesus, uh, all of creation was was ordered toward Him and the incarnation. In other words, okay. So before even God's consideration of the fall of the human race, the idea of the promise of Christ, which the Franciscans took up as well, Duns Scotus, Blessed Duns Scotus, is that God planned to have his son become flesh, incarnate. Okay. Because he is, is the, the center of all creation. And Mary is linked with this. Okay. Now, um, back to the the early church. Uh, here are some more witnesses of, of the early church. The understanding that Mary is, is all pure, okay, sinless. St. Proclus of Constantinople. He was in the middle of the 5th century. He says, The Son of God formed Mary without any stain of her own, so Jesus proceeded from her contracting no stain. And, you know, we understand this, Mary's singular grace that she was given, as being Christ-centered. Okay. Because the Son of God, this is the argument from fittingness. Okay. It is fitting, it is right, it is proper that God would want to take flesh from a pure and spotless being, not from someone who was stained with original sin. We give more honor and glory to Jesus Christ by holding this. Okay. And I'm going to, Angela, I'm going to ask you to participate here because this is something I often do. I didn't do it this time at my masses um, for the feast of the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception, but oftentimes I'll, I'll Take a little poll of the of the people sitting out there in the pews, and uh, to get the 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 notion of fittingness, 
through to people. And I, I put out this question to people, and I'll put it out to you, Angela, okay? Angela, if you had the opportunity, would you have wanted your mother to be pure and free from all stain of sin? Would you? Of course. Yes, yes. Everyone would. Yes. And I ask people, okay, raise your hands out there. If any, everyone who would want their mother <laughs> to be pure and free from all stain of sin to conceive you. And everyone raises their hand. Okay. And then I say, okay, how many of you were able to arrange for that? And no one raises their hands. I said, yes, of course. None of us were able to do that. None of us could do that. Could God do it? Yes. And God did it. Okay. And actually, this was an argument used by uh, the medieval authors, uh, starting with Aadmer, uh, a monk from Canterbury, and also especially um, um, Blessed Duns Scotus. And in the Latin, it goes like this. Okay. Potuit decuit ergo fecit. God was able to do it. That's potuit, decuit. It was fitting that he do it. Ergo fecit. Therefore, he did it. Okay. He did it. He preserved Mary free from sin because he wanted his son to take flesh from someone pure and spotless. We'll take a little break right now. We will return in a few minutes with another segment of the Marian Hour. I'm Ava Burke, a producer here at WSFI and a junior at Carmel Catholic High School. We are hoping to expand WSFI to reach up to 8 million people in the Chicagoland area. To help us reach this goal, please donate to WSFI Catholic Radio. WSFI has been a vital radio station with getting the word out to so many people. Many conversions have happened through WSFI and it has brought countless people back to the church and into the faith. But we cannot expand without your financial help. Please take a moment now to make a donation and go to WSFICatholicRadio.org or mail your check to P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Thank you for your help in making this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity happen. Hi, this is Dan Miller with Pro-Life Wisconsin. Why is Catholic Radio important? Catholic Radio is important because it catechizes Catholics. We need to be catechized. We need to know where the Catholic Church stands on certain issues. It certainly is important when it comes time to vote. That is something that is on our minds very much these days. So get involved. Make a donation to WSFI Antioch 88.5 FM Catholic Radio and help out. We need your help. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at WSFIRadio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, 
Libertyville, Illinois, 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. The Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is blessed with the opportunity to participate with WSFI Catholic Radio in the new evangelization. Holy Family is your local resource for books, CDs, and DVDs from Catholic Answers, Ignatius Press, and all of the other fine publishers featured on Catholic Radio. Holy Family also has the area's largest selection of baptism, communion, and confirmation gifts. Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is located at 9249 Old Green Bay Road, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. More information is available on Facebook. Hello, everyone. This is Father Dwight Campbell back for the second segment of our Marian Hour on this beautiful, glorious solemnity of Mary's Immaculate Conception. Uh, and just, just to get things straight, because people get confused on this feast, okay, Mary's Immaculate Conception does not refer to her conceiving Jesus, okay? Uh, it is a bit confusing because the Gospel of the Annunciation is read today for the feast, but that's for another reason. I'll explain that in a few minutes. But no, this refers to Mary being conceived in her mother's womb, St. Anne. Okay? Mary was conceived. Joachim and Anne had marital relations. And when, uh, when Mary was conceived, at the very first instant of her conception, a singular grace was given working through the Holy Spirit, where Mary was preserved from all stain of sin. She never contracted original sin. And that is the Immaculate Conception. That is what is defined as a dogma, okay? And, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I mentioned that, uh, you know, in the early church, uh, well, first of all, we have no explicit testimony in the scriptures to Mary's Immaculate Conception. It's only implicit. I'll get to the scriptural basis in just uh, a couple of minutes here, but uh, in the tradition we have these terms being used. The Immaculate Conception wasn't used in the early centuries, but the terms like uh, the All-Holy One, uh, the All-Beautiful One, uh, Mary was pre-purified, uh, these were terms that were used to convey this understanding. But uh, in the Middle Ages, and uh, there, was, there were some objections raised to Mary's Immaculate Conception. Uh, in the East, the, the Feast of Mary's Conception began to be celebrated back in like the 8th, 9th century. It moved to the West, 10th, 11th century. But one of the great saints uh, argued against Mary's Immaculate Conception. And uh, that was St. Bernard, the great St. Bernard. And another great saint, and this was the only mistake we think he ever made theologically, St. Thomas Aquinas followed St. Bernard. Why would they object to the Immaculate Conception? Well, St. Bernard said, everyone has to be redeemed. Okay? So if Mary never contracted original sin... Well, that, that would mean she wasn't redeemed by Christ, and everyone is redeemed. St. Paul makes clear of this, makes this clear in, in, his, in his epistles, and the church's teaching makes this clear. So there was this problem, this theological problem, um, at least in the West, okay? The universality of original sin. Mary couldn't be an exception. At least that was the thinking, okay? That she had to be redeemed, Everyone has to be redeemed. Uh, 
And, well, um, the problem was solved by a, a writer, uh, a blessed, I've already quoted him, blessed John Dunn Scotus. He was a Scot Scotus. He lived in the late 13th, early 14th century. And he had this, this great insight to solve this theological problem, okay? Mary has to be redeemed, okay? Did, did she have to contract original sin? And what Dun Scotus came up with was that, no, she didn't have to contract original sin to be freed from it. She was preserved from it. The singular grace that she received by the merits of Christ, okay, the, the merits that Christ won on the cross— were applied by God, who's outside of time, before Jesus died on the cross, to Mary, to preserve her from all stain of original sin. It was a preservative grace. Now, with everyone else, it is not a preservative grace, but a grace that frees us from original sin. When we're baptized, we already have it, original sin. We're freed from original sin. It's washed away. Mary never contracted it. Okay. And <clears throat> this was the teaching that then became accepted. And uh, why, do we, why do we say this? Well, and, and, and here I'll go to one of the, the scripture uh, bases for Mary's immaculate conception. In the new rite of the Mass— uh, I'll ask Angela because I, uh, I had the Mass already last night and this morning in the New Rite. Um, I'm offering it in the, the Usus Antiquor, the, the traditional Mass, this evening at 5.30 at, at Mount Carmel Church in Kenosha, if anyone wants to come. Uh, in the New Order of the Mass, the first reading today, Angela, do you know what it was? I'm I do. What I is paid it? attention. It was about Adam and Eve eating the apple. How she took the apple and he blamed it on. The original sin, Genesis chapter 3, yes. But importantly, okay, that chapter 3 of Genesis goes on to speak of the first promise of a Redeemer. After it describes the original sin, Adam took the app, the, the, the fruit. He, uh, pardon me, Eve took the fruit. She ate it. She gave it to Adam. Adam ate it. And it goes on to relate the first announcement of the good news of a Savior. That's verse 15 of chapter 3. It's called the Proto-Evangelium, Proto or First Evangelium, the good news, the announcement of the good news. What was it? The words of God to the serpent, which are these. I will put enmities between you, Satan, and the woman, between your seed or offspring and hers. And she will crush your head. Now, I, I'm going to explain here, if you went to the new order of the Mass today, you would have heard, he will crush your head. He, the seed of the woman, the woman is Mary. She's the new Eve, okay? And properly speaking, Jesus crushes the head of Satan 
he defeats Satan by dying on the cross. Okay. This is his victory. He dies on the cross, redeems us from that grace we had lost, and uh, he rises from the dead. And um, so one translation of the, I'll, I'll say this, the original Hebrew is a third person neuter, actually. It says, it will crush your head. I will put enmities between you and the woman, between your seed and hers. It will crush your head. It can be translated either he or she. Properly, Jesus Christ crushes the head of, of Satan, but so does Mary. And the translation from the Latin Vulgate that, that Jerome did, relying on the best sources, he used, she will crush your head. And that is the translation used in the, in the traditional Mass. And this is the basis for the statues of Our Lady of Grace. Remember, I, th I think in my last show, what, did I speak about the, the um, um, appearance of Mary to St. Catherine Labore, the miraculous medal? Okay, yes. And, uh, you know, that portrays Mary with her foot over the head of the serpent. Okay, Our Lady of Grace. So, um, so, uh, so Mary, uh, her cooperation with Jesus in crushing Satan and defeating Satan is, and the announcement of the good news of a Savior comes right after that original sin. This is Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelium. But it also reveals Mary's Immaculate Conception in this sense, okay, and this is what, the, this is what Blessed Pius IX says in his apostolic exhortation, the bull defining the Immaculate Conception. He says that we, we see in Genesis 3.15 the enmity, the total hatred opposition between Satan and the woman is likened to that of Satan and her seed, her offspring. So the church has understood that total opposition of Satan to both Jesus and Mary to mean that just as Satan never had a grip on Jesus because he was the Son of God made man, okay, Satan could never have a grip on him. Jesus, of course, was sinless, okay. Uh, well, so was Mary. That Mary had to be free from, from any contamination by Satan, even briefly. So she was preserved, free from all stain of sin, immaculate from the first moment of her conception. Now, um, the other biblical, and, and actually, uh, Blessed Pius IX, in his, in his bull defining the Immaculate Conception, okay, he references the Proto-Evangelium, Genesis 3.15, as a scriptural basis for the Church believing in the Immaculate Conception. Mary's Immaculate Conception is not explicitly revealed in Genesis 3.15, but implicitly. And the Church has seen in those words, I will put enmities between you, Satan, the woman between your seed and hers, and she will crush your head, as a revelation, implicit, of Mary's Immaculate Conception. Now, the other 
scripture reading in today's Mass, and this is used in both the, the new order of the Mass and, and the traditional form, okay? The Gospel. The Gospel today is... The Annunciation. The Annunciation. And that's why people get confused because right. they hear the Annunciation, Mary conceiving Jesus, thinking the Immaculate Conception refers to Mary conceiving Jesus. No. Okay. okay. That's the Incarnation. So why are we reading the, the account of the, the Annunciation and, and Mary conceiving Jesus on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception? Well, this is the reason. It's the words the Archangel Gabriel uses in greeting Mary. Hail, full of grace. Okay. What this reveals is that Mary was already filled with grace from the first moment of her conception. And this is why the angel greets her using that, that terminology. You okay. know, Father, I, I just was going to jump in about that because some of the Bibles that they're using now just a highly favored one. Well, actually... Don't they? Actually, um, the, <laughs> the, the church for, for a few decades was using a translation which you just referred to, okay? Uh, because the kekeratomene is, is the Greek perfect passive participle, <laughs> which we translate uh, properly as full of grace, but you could also translate it as most highly favored, okay? Both translations are, are valid, okay? And the traditional translation is full of grace. But for a couple of decades, uh, in, the, in the lectionary, the church used the translation most highly favored daughter. Well, but now it has returned it. to oh. full of grace. The reading today was full of, was grace. Full of grace. So we've gone back to that, that uh, better translation. I think it's the better one. Um, for, uh, well, to communicate this truth that Mary was filled with grace from the first moment of her conception. Um, preserved from all stain of sin and filled with grace. And this is why the, the Archangel Gabriel greets her in this way. And, you know, I'll just, I'll just ask you something, Angela, you know, on this Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Uh, it carries with it a special significance for our radio station, WSFI. If you could please uh, tell our, our listening audience uh, what is the significance of December 8th for WSFI, which is now not only on 88.5 FM, but 560 AM. We want to make... 750. Pardon me, 750. 750 AM. 750 AM. Yes, 750 AM. Yes. Yeah. Well, eight years ago, we did our first recording on December 8th. So it's our eighth anniversary. We get two anniversary dates. Our first recording was on the 8th. And our anniversary, our first live broadcast was the 9th. But it was the Immaculate Conception that year because the Immaculate Conception was celebrated on a Monday. But that we really won, Father, because it's also the Feast of Fulton Sheen, or the, the day he went home, and Juan Diego. So we get the Immaculate Conception, Fulton Sheen, and Juan Diego. Wonderful. So that's how we've survived nine, uh, eight years now. We have all these powerful patrons. Yes, and, and we, we survive by people's generosity. Oh, so thank you. I'll put in a plug for... 
for WSFI. You who are listening on um, 88.5 FM and uh, 750 AM, okay, please make a donation to WSFI. You can call in at um, at 224-206-8455. I'll say that again, 224 224- Two zero six eight four five five, or you can just get online and make a donation. WSFICatholicRadio.org. Okay, very easy. WSFICatholicRadio, all one word. dot org to make a donation to keep us on the airwaves. Anyway, um, I told Angela I'm not going to take a break today. I'm going to go right through to the end because there's. Some, some more things I want to discuss about this beautiful feast. And um, we started just about eight minutes late today because of the Mass. So I, I, I want to talk about a couple of other aspects, historical, okay, in regard to this uh, uh, Feast of the Immaculate Conception and the proclamation of the dogma, which was in 1854, okay? So, in the Middle Ages, you have this controversy, you know, St. Bernard saying, no, we can't say Mary was conceived immaculately because, you know, she had to be redeemed, and Thomas Aquinas went along with that. It sounded like good reasoning, and then Dun Scotus, the Franciscan, comes up with the solution that, that Mary was preserved from that sin, uh, she was pre-redeemed, you could say. And um, so here's just a kind of an historical note. It's, it makes me smile every time I, I talk about it. Um, this controversy was mainly between the Dominicans, the followers of St. You know, Dominic, but also St. Thomas Aquinas, and the Franciscans. Okay, the Dominicans were opposing the Immaculate Conception, because, you know, they were saying that Mary had to be redeemed and um, the Franciscan saying she was, she was just preserved from contracting original sin. And um, Pope, uh, this went on for hundreds of years, okay? And the, uh, the Franciscans and Dominicans were, were, were like leveling excommunications at each other for, for saying, no, you're a heretic, no, you're a heretic, okay? Well, Pope Sixtus IV, in the year 1476, he blessed, you could say, the, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception uh, for the entire Latin Church. Okay. And, um, uh, and there was a constitution that he published in 1483 um, where he excommunicated anyone who accused the other of heresy, okay? Because the the Dominicans, the Franciscans, Franciscans were accusing one another of heresy, and he said, "No, cut it out, guys." Okay, so I'm adopting the feast of the Immaculate Conception for the whole Latin Church. Okay, now if you forward to the year 1661, December 8th, 1661. Pope Alexander VII, he wrote a papal brief in which he said, and listen to these words because these were almost the exact same words that Pius 
Blessed Pius IX would use about 200 years later in defining the dogma, okay, raising it to its highest level. But I'm just showing some history here with papal teaching, okay, 1661. He says in this papal brief, in the first instance of her creation, in the first instance of the soul's infusion into her body, Mary was by a special grace and privilege in view of the merits of Jesus Christ, her Son and Redeemer, preserved, free from all stain of original sin. And he forbade all further discussion about this. Okay. Again, he forbade it. Okay. So, um, and I'll add a historical note here. Okay. Um, Pope Alexander VII he, I believe, I haven't, I never saw any solid historical confirmation of this, but, okay, I think he lifted that language from St. John Eudes, who died in about the year 1690, who wrote the first book on the heart of Mary. It's called The Admirable Heart of Mary, and St. John Eudes used that language almost word for word in defending Mary's Immaculate Conception. So the Pope, I think, used that language from St. John Eudes in his brief of December 8th, 1661. So you fast forward there <coughs> to almost 200 years to 1854 and the the bull of Pius IX defines it as a dogma, saying there's, there's no more doubt. Everyone must believe this, okay? But I'll, I'll, I'll just mention a couple of other things here because it's, it's worthy of interest, okay? <clears throat> I'm going to read a statement here. <clears throat> um, this is important for us in these United States. In 1846... Significantly, I think, May 13th of 1846, which was the date Mary chose to appear to the children at Fatima for the first time in 1917. Well, May 13th, 1846, at the Council of Baltimore in Baltimore, Maryland, the U.S. bishops, they decreed the following. Okay, I'm going to read their decree. With enthusiastic acclaim and with unanimous approval and consent, the fathers, that is, the bishops of the Baltimore Council, have chosen the Blessed Virgin Mary, conceived without sin, as the patroness of the United States of America. Wow. So she is our national patroness. That is why... Uh, Oftentimes, if the Feast of the Immaculate Conception falls, if, if other feast days, I should say, fall on a Saturday or a Monday, it won't be obligatory. The Immaculate Conception usually is always obligatory because it is our, she's our national patron, okay, patroness. And, uh, and so this is significant. 1846, this is eight years before the dogma was proclaimed 
by Pius IX. So this is evidence, further evidence of the belief of in Mary's Immaculate Conception. You know, the bishops of the country proclaim Mary our national patroness. Okay, so we have you know a special you know pride. We can we can uh, take pride in in this feast that we're celebrating today, this solemnity, this high feast um, of Mary's Immaculate Conception, realizing that she is our our uh, patroness of these United States of America, and. <clears throat> Uh, just a couple of other things I'll mention here now with a few minutes left for our program. You know, I, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but uh, it's worth mentioning again. Uh, there were heavenly confirmations of this dogma of Mary's Immaculate Conception, both before the dogma was proclaimed in 1854 and afterwards. Prior to 1854, actually 24 years before the dogma, 1830, November 27th, 1830, Mary appears to St. Catherine Labore. She's a nun of a, a new novice in, in the order of the Daughters of Charity in their, in their chapel on uh, the Rue de Bac, the street of Bac in Paris. And Mary appears as Our Lady of Grace, standing with her foot over the head of the serpent, okay? Rays coming out of her fingers, symbolizing the grace through her prayers. And with an oval shape around her, that's how Mary appeared to St. Catherine Labore. And the words on the inside of that oval shape, which was then cast into a medal at Mary's command, are the words... O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. So, uh, as I mentioned last week, on, or two weeks ago in my radio program, um, the Miraculous Medal was originally not called the Miraculous Medal. It was called the Medal of the Immaculate Conception because of that wording. O Mary conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. But because of the miracles that began uh, both physical and spiritual immediately after it was cast in, in 1832, was the first casting of the medal. Uh, there were over a billion medals cast by St. Catherine Labore's death in 1879. Okay, I don't know how many billion have been cast since then. Okay. Um, it's been called the Miraculous Medal. And just to complete a little catechesis on the Miraculous Medal, okay, when Mary appeared to St. Catherine Labore, the whole image turned, and on the backside of what became the medal, um, there appeared an M with a cross over the top, and on the bottom of the M, the heart of Jesus surrounded by thorns on the left, and the heart of Mary with a sword going through it on the right. And that's why I like to call the Miraculous Medal the Medal of the Two Hearts. And it, it really shows, is a witness to the co-redemption. Mary uh, cooperated in our redemption with, with Jesus Christ in a singular manner, in a subordinate manner, okay, in a secondary manner, 
but she cooperated with Christ in our redemption. Her heart was pierced by a sword of sorrow. She shared in his suffering. She's the co-redemptrix, the cooperatrix of the human race. She cooperated with Christ in winning for us, meriting the grace. Now, one more heavenly confirmation took place four years after the dogma was proclaimed in 1858. It was to another saint, a little girl, named Bernadette Subaru in Lourdes, and Mary appeared to her. When Mary appeared to her, little Bernadette goes to her pastor, relates how Mary, this woman, she didn't say it was Mary, she didn't know who it was, you know, wasn't sure, uh, says this woman's appearing, and her parish pastor tells her, ask her her name. And when Bernadette goes back and, and says, what is your name, what does Mary say? Angela, what does she say? She said, I am the Immaculate Conception. Yes. I am it. I am. She, she identified her very being with the singular grace of her Immaculate Conception. So that was a heavenly confirmation of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary. All these beautiful things we can consider on this wonderful solemnity which we celebrate today, the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And um, I will just end today um, with uh, a little prayer before I give a final blessing. And it's the prayer of that is found on the Miraculous Medal. O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. And through the intercession of the sorrowful and immaculate heart of Mary, may Almighty God bless you and keep you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a blessed Lent and Christmas. You have been listening to The Marian Hour with Father Dwight Campbell. For a free copy of this recording, please visit us at wsfipodbean.com.